Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Welcome back to the Grace Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in wherever you find yourself on this fall, maybe fall day. I mean, I guess people could listen to this months from now, uh, but who knows? Today it's fall, and uh, we welcome you back here. Uh, we are with John Rokey in the studio, and thanks for being with us, John. Yeah, well, thanks for having me back. Um, Absolutely. It's fun to hang out with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Can you say that louder? <laughs> that's just, that's fun. <laughs> All right. Well, you are here today to uh, open up God's Word with us to talk through the 23rd Psalm. And so I'll, mm. I'll just turn that over to you now and, and let you have at it. Well, thanks uh, for having me again. It's, if, if anybody knows me very long, they'll probably learn that the 23rd Psalm is kind of my favorite passage. Um, you know, it's probably one of the most familiar passages of all the Bible, and yet I also think it might be one of the least understood. Um, and part of that is because when's the last time you heard a sermon on it? <laughs> um, most likely, if you've heard it, it was at a funeral. Um, and that's it's fascinating that part of the reason why that is is because there's a faulty translation. Uh, that phrase, the valley of the shadow of death, is much better translated the valley of darkness or the darkest valley. Um, but um, I would say that this was never intended to be a funeral psalm. <laughs> this is uh, a life psalm, and <clears throat> maybe more importantly, a way of life psalm. So it really became that for me about six or seven years ago now. I was going through one of those dark valleys of life, uh, the kind that shakes your world to the core, and that really challenges what you trust in. And not enough time to go into that, but most of us will face a valley like this at some point in our lives, um, maybe even at death, but it could be a terminal diagnosis or a loss of a loved one, a crisis of faith. And for me, it was the losing of a family business. And it was during that time that I attended a funeral, of all things, here at Grace Church, and sure enough, Psalm 23 was the passage that was read, and as we were reading it, it was like God just began to open my eyes and my heart to how much more this psalm had to say about life, more specifically, how to understand life and how to live it. Now, through the life and experiences of David, God wants us to see something kind of profound in Psalm 23. Most often, you know, I think that uh, we think David wrote Psalm 23 out of his experience as a shepherd. And, and it's true, David was a shepherd, and in fact, I think a significant argument could be made that the phrase used of David, that he was a man after God's own heart, actually refers to his shepherd heart. That's another, another podcast. <laughs> but it's also true that we will see... Uh, in Psalm 23, that it is all about 
the shepherd. This is an incredible depiction of who the shepherd is and what he does. But the key to understanding Psalm 23 is that it's written from the perspective of a sheep. And therein kind of lies the challenge and the problem for us. We don't like being sheep. When's the last time you heard a dad say to his son at the ball field, Go get him, son. Be a sheep out there. (laughs) You know, tiger maybe, but not a sheep. And that's because sheep of, of all animals are almost the most defenseless. They are dependent. They are fearful, yet they're quite stubborn. They're not very bright. They wander off. They're, they're one of the most helpless animals there is. A sheep on its own, it's said, is a dead sheep. Yet that's who we are. This is what David understood. This giant-killing warrior who was the greatest king Israel had ever had, who was also an adulterer, a murderer, an inept father. He knew riches and poverty. He experienced victory and defeat. He knew the intimacy of dancing before God and yet the loneliness of running from him. He knew that he was a sheep. He realized that, and he realized that he needed a shepherd, and so do we. And so to truly see the shepherd of Psalm 23 in all his fullness, we have to see him through the eyes of a sheep, meaning we have to embrace our own dependence, helplessness, fear, stubbornness. We have to admit, at least I did, that I wasn't very bright, and I often wonder, but that we were actually made to follow. So, Let's begin by opening up our Bible. Oh, sorry. That was. <laughs> I couldn't resist, guys. So, um, but let's, let's, as sheep, let's read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength, or as we know it best, he restores my soul. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. So, you know, there's really no way to plumb the depths of this psalm in the time we have uh, in our sessions, but actually what I hope is to provoke uh, anyone to spend more time in the psalm and dig deeper. I promise you cannot exhaust its depths. Mm -hmm. Um, But to start with, when I look at this psalm, um, I actually see it a bit upside down. And what I mean by this is I think verse 1 serves as a conclusion to the psalm. It could be just a one-verse psalm. And then verses 2 to 6 simply are an expansion of the conclusion. So um, stick with me, and hopefully you'll kind of see how that works. Um, Verse 1, this amazing phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Robert Morgan refers to verse 1 as the world's most powerful opening to history's most precious poem. And I think he's really right there. This phrase, for me, is is sort of the ultimate characterization of the transcendence and imminence of God 
in one simple statement. Now, transcendence speaks to God's otherness, his bigness, his unapproachability, while imminence speaks to God's nearness, closeness, or intimacy. And here they are together, actually equated together in one phrase, and in fact, in the Hebrew, one word. And so you see, on the one hand, we have the Lord, right? Creator, ruler of everything, holy, majestic, terrible in might and power, unlike anything or anyone. And the Lord acts absolutely and only for his own pleasure and glory. But on the other hand, we have this term shepherd, one of the most dependent, subservient, self-depreciating roles there could ever be. It requires absolute and relentless presence, relationship, and servanthood. It is the ultimate in condescension. And a shepherd, a shepherd acts absolutely and only for the welfare, protection, and, a ben- and the benefit of the sheep. And then sandwiched in between is this tiny but significant word, my, he's my shepherd. When we look at this, it's on the surface, there might we might see it as contradictory. We, we sort of struggle with our understanding of God. I mean, who, who is he really? Is he the all-holy, just, almighty, terrible God who punishes the slightest of sin absolutely with no exception? Or is he the all-loving, merciful, don't-hate-your-enemy, forgiving, wants-us-to-prosper, shepherd type of God? And the answer, of course, is yes, yes. He is all of that and more, and our finite minds have a bit of a uh, a difficulty comprehending the infinite, right? For me, Haddon Robinson helps us with one of what I've come to believe is one of the most profound statements of God I've ever considered. Haddon says this, he says, God is the most self-obligated being in the universe. He cannot use his power outside of his love just as he cannot exercise his holiness apart from his grace. God's might is at the service of his heart. (laughs) That's stunning because it helps us picture and understand that God is not like us. And I say it like this, God never does anything that he doesn't want to do. (laughs) That's not like us. What God does is a result of who God is. And so this, this picture of both the God of the universe and the shepherd is not contradictory, but it might be contraventional, right? It's It's not who we understand. Now, to further understand a little bit of this phrase, we have to know what a a shepherd is, and we don't. Um, David and everybody's in David's time did, but there were three key characteristics that everybody understood about a shepherd back in those days. The first was that a shepherd assumed total responsibility for the life and well-being of his sheep. It's because he had to. (laughs) They couldn't manage themselves. It's not who a sheep is. We already talked about that. Second, a shepherd's highest motivation and fulfillment came from providing for his sheep. The, The sheep's welfare and prosperity was his primary concern. In fact, to the denial of his own comfort, to the very peril of his own safety, the sheep come first and foremost. He does everything for the benefit and the prosperity of the sheep. And finally, a shepherd at that time built an intimate, personal relationship with each of his sheep, unique to any other domesticated animal. Uh, We know this, that that sheep know his voice and they hear his voice, and we could talk about more about that, not no time at this point. So 
the Lord is my shepherd, rightly understood, means for us that this all-knowing, all-powerful, almighty, eternal God who has created all things and upholds all things, who is holy beyond all comprehension, who is all-loving and all-merciful, he is my shepherd. Which then further means that this God that we just described takes total and absolute responsibility for my life and well-being because I can't. That this God's highest motivation is my protection, my welfare, my abundance, and he will put himself at peril, yea, even death, to rescue me. And then that this God desires a close, personal, intimate relationship with me. And so then, is it any wonder that David follows that with, I shall not want, or I have all that I need? And This is really the central phrase of the whole psalm. This is the hinge of everything. And and I believe that it doesn't point uh, forward. It points backwards. And I think I originally thought it did. You know, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Look what all he does for me. He leads me to the still water, all that kind of stuff. But it's really not that way. This is pointing backwards. David is simply coming to this massive conclusion that if the God of the universe is my shepherd... What more could I want? And so what we see in this phrase uh, is, a, is both surrender and submission, but also sufficiency and satisfaction. We see all of that in this, because we know David had wants. <laughs> they got him into trouble. And yet, in the end, when he understood the reality of who his shepherd was, From a sheep's perspective, he could say, I surrender and I submit, and yet it is sufficient, and I am satisfied in all that my shepherd is. So to me, I say it's a, what, how could I do this? Drop the mic moment. (laughs) Um, And be a one-verse psalm, but but it doesn't. He goes on, and he just expands on who this shepherd is. And we see that because it's really, when you understand and look at it, it's all about who the shepherd is and what he does. Um, it's not about what's happening to you. It's really, you know, he, he, he. You know, so it's talking about what the shepherd... And, and we have often thought of this as um, being sort of uh, one phrase upon another, kind of stacked on each other, all these things. But I don't think that's what David is doing here, and it has a lot to do with Hebrew poetry and how it works and some of those kind of things. But I really think what David does in verses 2 to 6 is he is presenting who this shepherd is in four big thoughts, four major thoughts. Verses 2 to 3a, the first half of verse 3a, he's my provider, He's my provider. Verses 3b to 4, he's my guide. Verse 5, he's my abundance. And verse 6, he's my destiny or my hope, really my hope. And so let me just um, talk a little bit about that uh, as we go. We don't have time just to hit the highlights in the service. So he's my provider, and he uses these images of sheep and shepherd to help us understand that he provides exactly what the sheep can't provide for themselves. Rest, refreshment, and restoration. Now, rest is important for sheep because they're ruminants. They must rest to digest, and there's a whole litany of things we could talk about there. They need refreshment, but the one thing they fear most is water. It's 
kind of like they understand that 70 pounds of wool and water are not a good combination. And so they're very fearful of water, but they need that refreshment, that satiation. And then they need restoration. There's a a condition for sheep. They fall over and they literally can't get up. And so a shepherd comes and restores them and, and gets them up. And for us, it's exactly the same thing. He provides as shepherd precisely what we can't provide for ourselves. And so what are those things? Well, for us, the very first thing that a shepherd provides is what we would least expect. He doesn't ask us to do anything, but instead he wants us to rest, rest from our striving, rest from the thoughts that we're in control, rest from thinking it's all up to us, rest from trying to earn his love or even rest from our worries. He makes us rest and realize that he has this, whatever this is. This is Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's because God's favor cannot be achieved. It has to be received. And so our first thing that he gives us is rest from all that we chase. The second thing is that he provides refreshment and it's pictured by those still waters. And if we really wanted to know what this is about, we would have to take a, have a visit with the Samaritan woman who went to the village one, well one day, just like any other day, to get some plain old water. But when she got there, she met an unexpected person who offered her an unimaginable kind of water, living water, the kind of living water that never ends, that springs up inside of us with joy and contentment. It's about satisfaction. He satisfies us. And then finally, he just restores us. He renews and restores our relationship to him and all things. But he's not finished. He's my provider, but he's my guide, verses 3b to 4. And the interesting thing about this in the sheep and shepherd metaphors and pictures is that there's a, a really big thought here, and that is this. Guidance implies movement, <laughs> and movement requires following. So a shepherd has to move his sheep on a daily or a seasonal basis, just continually. There's lots of reasons for that, but part of what he understands is they love comfort, and comfort will ruin them. So he has to move them for them to to thrive and survive. Well, we do it too. We love our comfort, and it's to our detriment. And so God will move us as we, um, and and we need to learn to follow him in that movement. And the second big thought is that he guides us on the right paths for his glory. Now, the right paths have a couple of aspects. Yes, they're the righteous path. But maybe more importantly, they are the right path. They are the correct path. They're the path of his choosing and his outcome. And so, um, but but what about the valleys? (laughs) Are they the right path? Uh, The answer is absolutely they're the right path, and they're worth it. And maybe we'll talk about why that's the case in the uh, coming up segment, the next segment. So this shepherd is my provider. He's my guide but he's also my abundance, as seen in verse 5. And Now, verse 5 can get a bit confusing. It's kind of hard to see some of the shepherd and sheep metaphors, and there's a reason to believe that David might be coming out of his metaphors here, but at its core, verse 5 pictures unexpected lavishness. 
So you don't expect to have a feast in the presence of your enemies. That, that, that doesn't make sense. And then David knows that you would never expect a runt, that a runt shepherd boy would be anointed with oil and become king. And so that picture is, again, this unexpectedness. And so finally, he just kind of comes out in his third little triplet here and says, I, I give up, my cup overflows. It's just, it was way more than what I ever expected. I've been given way more than I deserve, lavish, unexpected blessings. And so have we. We call it grace. And so we are enabled to be children of the king when we were enemies of his. So all those kind of things are all about abundance, and so he's our abundance. And then finally, this good, good shepherd who is my provider, my guide, and my abundance. He is also my hope. And this is the one thing that we probably want in life most of all, hope. And so David turns uh, in verse 6 to the language of promise, and he speaks to his and our hopes for both this life and the life to come. But again, he does so in what I think are some unexpected ways. First, in expressing his hopes for this life, David actually looks backward over his shoulder, and he basically says this, look, I, I have no idea what is going to happen to me in this life, but I know where you will be when it happens. <laughs> right behind me, pursuing me with your goodness and mercy. And when it comes to eternity, David again does the unexpected. In using the phrase, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, David is not talking about where he will be, like we think he is. He's actually talking about who he will be with. So again, in talking about his future, David gives us two profound truths. In this life, it's not about what will happen to me, but about where the shepherd will be when it does happen. And then for the next life, it's not about where I will be, but about who I will be with. And... Uh, so for me, this is an amazing psalm. I, we could go on and on and on, and maybe we will a little bit later in the next section. But it's a concluding verse. With verse 1, it concludes, If the very God of the universe is my shepherd, what more could I want? I, I'm going to find everything in him. He is my all. He is everything I could ever want. And by the way, he's my provider. He's my guide. He's my abundance, and he's my hope. I, I find myself going back to this psalm time and time and time again because I need to be reminded that I am a sheep. Um, I am fearful. I do. I am helpless. I am defenseless. I am dependent. But when I see who my shepherd is, what more could I want? 